This talk was recorded by Insight Meditation South Bay. For more talks and information, visit www.imsb.org. Mudita means, as I said, sympathetic, empathetic, altruistic joy. It is, as Sharon said, the third of the Brahma Viharas. Uh, I find it the most interesting, the most challenging, um, because it isn't always easy to experience or allow ourselves to experience happiness for the happiness of somebody else. And that's what mudita is. Happiness, delight, joy, in the happiness, the good fortune, the success, the goodness of somebody else. And that takes a a pretty secure, strong sense of ourselves. So I know you've been doing the Brahma Viharas, and I just want to say that They are listed in the order that they are, loving-kindness, compassion, empathetic joy, and equanimity, because they build on each other. Each one is practiced separately, of course, but there is a progression. And I think it's important to have the foundation of loving-kindness, which then leads to compassion, which sets the stage for mudita, for being able to be open and experience the happiness of or for someone else. So over the years that I've been doing this practice, I have seen what was first called sympathetic joy evolve (laughs) to empathetic, to altruistic, and now many teachers just say joy. For me, that loses a little bit of the, the import, the characteristic of empathetic joy. Joy, of course, is wonderful. And if we have joy, we can open to everyone, joy, happiness for everyone. But I think empathetic joy is specific. And we might feel joyful and think we experience joy for everyone, and then we come across someone that has accomplished something or has... um, won something, gotten something that we maybe don't have or don't think we have. And there can be an edge. There can be a rub. And it's not quite as easy as we thought. So Thich Nhat Hanh disagrees with me. (laughs) He says that empathetic joy or sympathetic joy is too limiting 
and that it should be joy for everyone, you, me, and everyone. So, of course, it's both. (laughs) But I still think there's a particular um, practice that comes with empathetic joy that, that I value and that enhances the, uh, the opening of my heart, uh, enhances the cultivating a kind heart. So we'll stick with the particular for tonight. But it's within the context of joy, unlimited joy for everyone. So, as I said, empathetic joy can be experiencing happiness, gladness, for the success or the happiness of someone else. And there's a little caveat, without judgment. So what that means is it's not that we limit our happiness for somebody else to just the experiences that we think are okay or acquiring something that we think is okay. It's to be without judgment. If somebody else is happy for whatever reason, then can we open our hearts and be happy with them? Now, I'll make one exception, and that is we're not talking about being happy for someone who has done something illegal or unethical. So we're not asking ourselves to be happy for somebody who is happy because he just robbed a bank and has lots of money. That's not the idea. But within reasonable limits, neither are we to judge somebody else's happiness. It may not be what we want, it may, you know, they may have done something or gotten something that we have no interest in. That's irrelevant. Can we be open and allow ourselves to be happy for whatever it is that they are happy about? So I said that the Brahma Viharas are listed in a particular order because they build on each other, but obviously, um, In many ways, we can't speak about one without speaking about the other. Again, to use Thich Nhat Hanh's phrase, they inter-are. So we talk about mudita, but we can't talk about it without talking about compassion and loving kindness. So as you've probably already learned, the four Brahma Viharas are the divine, the heavenly abodes. They are qualities of the heart, qualities of an awakened being, states of mind, states of mind in which we can take refuge. There is safety, protection in abiding in these qualities of the heart-mind, really. In the East, they don't make the same distinction between heart and mind that we do. So we can take refuge in these states of mind. 
and they lead to the freedom of the heart. Like when we do metta or loving kindness for a difficult person, we get to see where the ego is stuck or where the ego is very strong or where there's a sticky place. So we may find it very easy to experience mudita, happiness, for our family, for good friends, for people that we like, for people that are like us. But the difficulty may come when somebody, maybe that we don't like, or somebody that is, um, I don't know, a little bit lower in stature for some reason, or even somebody whom we admire a lot, it may be a little more difficult to experience that happiness. There can be a, a glitch. I have found it myself. And when I investigate, when I look within, I can find some sense of lack or some sense of envy. Envy is the near enemy of mudita. So if I feel some lack, can be anything, happiness, knowledge, um, money, success, whatever. If I am not feeling secure, if I'm feeling some lack, then if somebody else has a huge success or something brings them great happiness, I may not be quite so ready to experience or to allow myself to feel happiness for their happiness. So then, of course, the work is to turn inwards and question myself. What is that sense of lack? What is creating that sense of envy? What is blocking my heart's ability to experience happiness for this person? And that takes some honesty, some uh, realistic appraisal of ourselves. And seeing, perhaps, the illusion or delusion of thinking that there's some lack on our part. It is mostly, maybe entirely, untrue. And it's a result of comparing mind. If we're comparing ourselves to somebody else, that's comparing mind. And it's totally unnecessary. In fact, the Buddha considered it conceit. The conceit of feeling better than, the conceit of feeling less than, the conceit of feeling the same as or equal to somebody else. It's all conceit because it's all comparing mind. And it is totally unnecessary. It's based on false assumptions. 
It's based on unreality, and there's absolutely no need to compare ourselves. We, are, we all have our own unique way of being, way of shining, way of uh, contributing in the world. And the world needs all of us, not just some, not just some that are a certain way, but all of us. The web of life includes all of us. So there's a beautiful image that speaks to this, I think, and it's called Indra's net. And Indra's net is a metaphor for the web of life. And in Indra's net, at each crossing to form the net, there is a jewel, a beautiful jewel. But of course, each jewel is different. But each jewel shines in itself and reflects off all of the other jewels. And we can see that that's us. (laughs) We are all jewels in this web of life. We shine on our own, and there is no need to compare. Would you compare um, a ruby to a diamond or a sapphire to uh, (laughs) whatever, garnet? You might, and people have preferences, but so what? doesn't make one any better than the other, just different, that's all. So if we remember that, that all of us are a jewel, and we reflect off each other, and there is no need to compare, to have comparing mind. And we let go of that then we can experience more easily the happiness for someone else. So some other blocks or hindrances to the openness of our heart to feel mudita, to feel happiness. Another one is judgment. When we judge ourselves or somebody else, then we block that ability to feel happiness. We may be judging out of a sense of lack. Sometimes we judge someone else, we're critical of someone else, because underneath we actually admire them. But that's hard to admit. And so the mind tends to go to criticizing or judging. We also often think that we know what's right or what's best or what's correct or what should be. And so we judge others that may not see it the same way. And mudita, or empathetic joy, is not about judging. Sharon Salzberg, who wrote the book on loving-kindness, says, 
can we allow others' lives to be different and be happy for them? So not judging whose life is better or whose life is worse, but just allowing others' lives to be different from ours without any judgment. Another hindrance can be prejudice or preference. As I said, sometimes we can feel empathetic joy much more easily for somebody that we like or somebody that is like us in some way. Can we let go of that and open our hearts to everyone? There's a quote from Longfellow, Henry Wadsworth Longfellow, who said, If we could read the secret history of our enemies, we should find in each person's life sorrow and suffering enough to disarm all hostility. So if we remember that everyone experiences suffering, nobody has a perfect life. Everyone knows loss, knows sorrow, And we open ourselves to their suffering, their sorrow. That leads us to opening to their happiness as well. So recognizing that we all suffer. We all have dissatisfaction. That creates a a compassionate (laughs) sameness and allows us to open to their happiness as well. Demeaning, demeaning another person is another block or hindrance. When we make fun of, when we put down, when we uh, somehow diminish somebody else's being or accomplishment or happiness, in order to raise ourselves, in order to make us feel better. Actually, what happens is, it doesn't usually make us feel better. It diminishes us as well. And that can be a block to allowing the feeling of mudita. So if we actually allow ourselves to experience happiness for someone else, that increases our happiness. And when we diminish them in any way, we diminish our own happiness. I've touched on envy. Envy can be, can devour us, can eat us up. When we think someone else has something that we don't have, that eats away at us, doesn't it? I did this talk last night in San Jose, and someone at the end said that she had had a friend visiting her recently, and the friend kept saying to her, I envy you for this. I envy you for that. I envy you for what you have or who you are. And this woman said she was very uncomfortable 
she didn't know how to respond. And it really made her sort of pause. Uh, This was a good friend over many, many years. And so we can see that from that example that the envy obviously was uncomfortable for the other person since she was talking about it, but made this other woman uncomfortable as well. So envy, envy is, can be a very destructive emotion or a very destructive state of mind. And often it ignores our own value, what we have or who we are. If we recognize and honored who we were and what we have, then there wouldn't be a sense of envy. We could just accept what somebody else has. Another block can be selfishness. And again, it comes from a sense of not enough. So if we think there's not enough love in the world, if we think there's not enough happiness, if we think there's not enough wealth, for everyone, then we might want to hoard or hold on to what we have so that somebody else doesn't take what we want or we have. And of course, this is just the opposite of generosity or kindness or sharing. And as I said, it is based on the idea that there is not enough, that there is a lack. And we can see that it's not true. There is plenty of happiness. There is plenty of love. And if somebody has a lot of happiness, a lot of love, that in no way takes away from anybody else's happiness or anybody else's love. Boredom. Boredom can be another block to mudita. And by boredom, we mean not paying attention, not being fully present for what is right in front of us, for what is going on with us. So it can be a dullness, um, a dull state of mind, like sloth and torpor. And when we're not paying attention, when we're in this dull state, then we don't experience mudita. But when we wake up and when we practice mudita, that can overcome boredom and bring, bring us to a more presence and a more awareness of what is right in front of us. So what supports mudita? What helps us to experience mudita and allow it to expand? One is gratitude. Recognizing, acknowledging, being grateful for who we are and what we have. Very often, we don't do that. Right? We tend often to focus on what we don't have. 
rather than what we do have, who we are. We focus on who we are not. I see this, of course, over and over in my work. Can we make it a practice to acknowledge and express in whatever way gratitude for what we have? All of us in this country have enormous wealth, not just in terms of money or material things, but in terms of um, experiences, availability of information, um, just like the Dharma. There are more and more and more opportunities to sit together and practice the Dharma. People say, you know, you are so fortunate in the Bay Area because you go to other parts of the country and there aren't all these opportunities. And we can get kind of picky sometimes. <laughs> we cannot appreciate what we have here. So it can be a very wonderful practice to acknowledge to ourselves. Many of us, at one time or another, have taken on a gratitude practice. And it can come in different forms. One way is just at the end of the day to take five minutes and write down all the things that we're grateful for. I did this for a period of time. And it's really astounding. I might sit down Let's see, what am I grateful for today? And it takes a moment. Oh, yeah. And then, oh, yeah. And then after just a few minutes, things just come. And I'm grateful for the beautiful sunny day. I'm grateful for my dog. I'm grateful for my cats. I'm grateful for (laughs) everything. It's another heart-opening practice when we find that we can be grateful for the smallest things. We might start with the big things, and then as time goes on, we can be grateful for the most simple things, the flower that grows in the crack of the cement, the smile that we received, or even that we gave to someone today. And we can overcome that sense of envy with gratitude instead. We can practice compassion. Compassion for everyone, including ourselves, which sometimes is the most challenging, the most difficult. But can we remember, as Wadsworth says, that everyone has their share of sorrow. Everyone has their struggles, their difficulties in life. And have compassion for all of us that struggle. So I'm reminded of the story you may or may not have heard of a woman at the time of the Buddha who lost her very young child. And she was distraught. 
And she walked through the village carrying her baby, wailing and weeping because she had lost this young child. And some of the villagers told her to go and visit the Buddha. So she did. And of course, the Buddha was very compassionate. And he said to her, I want you to go from house to house in this village and bring to me a mustard seed from any house that has not experienced death. And so she did that. And of course, what did she find? There was no house that had not experienced death. And that was very supportive to her. She realized that she was not alone in the loss of this young child. That death visits everybody, every home. And with that, she was able to take her child to the cemetery and bury him. And, of course, her grief didn't instantly vanish, but at least she didn't feel so alone. She didn't feel like she was the only one. So when we open our hearts to the suffering, the pain of others, it allows us to open ourselves to their happiness and their joy as well. So another way that we often block the experience of mudita is by being too attached to this individual, I, me, (laughs) or mine. And again, when we see that, can we begin at least to let go of that, to let go of that strong self-identification, which we all have, but can really get in our way, and see that the more attached we are to this I, the more difficult it is to experience mudita. The less attached we are, the more open we are, the easier it is to experience joy for somebody else. We can also remember that happiness is not ours alone. We're not separate from other people's happiness. The Dalai Lama says, it is important to understand how much your own happiness is linked to that of others. There is no individual happiness totally independent of others. And Rick Hansen says, if we derive happiness from the happiness of others, we have six billion more opportunities for happiness. (laughs) That's a nice way to think of it, isn't it? Six billion more opportunities for happiness. So experiencing the happiness or allowing ourselves to feel the happiness of other people does not take away from our own happiness, but in fact enhances it.
So, a few examples of how we naturally experience mudita. We experience it, probably all of us have, when we see a baby who is delighting at the finding of his toes or, or her hands or whatever. Probably not one of us would not smile, would not experience that, that joy of that baby. Seeing two dogs playing together, especially those of us that have dogs, right? There's great happiness in seeing two dogs experiencing happiness playing together. It can be very, very delightful and heart-opening. When we observe a child, especially perhaps but not limited to a child with disabilities, have some success. Learn to tie his or her shoes. Learn to climb a jungle gym. Something that they may have been struggling with for a period of time. And to see them succeed brings out that natural happiness, that natural mudita. A week or so ago, I had the experience of a neighbor who came by. And this is a neighbor who has a dog, but can be very negative by her own admission. And I think it was last Friday. She was feeling so good and shared with me that she had helped a lost dog get rescued. And uh, I could see, you know, there was none of that negativity. She was so happy that she had been able to do this. And it was easy to experience her happiness with her. Many, many times, many reasons in nature, right? We just naturally experience happiness when we see something happening in nature that, that is lovely or touches the heart. So there are many ways that we already experience mudita. And we can build on those. We can remember those and then build on them. Again, Rick Hansen says, Rick Hansen, who is the author of um, Hardwiring Happiness and actually spoke at IMSB, when, last fall? Yeah, sometime last year. Says that when he catches himself being critical or judgmental of someone else, he just turns that critical thought around and says... May your happiness continue. May your good fortune follow you everywhere. We could use any of those um, sayings. May your happiness increase. May you find abundant joy that just takes the mind off that criticalness and turns it to empathetic joy. So I'd like to suggest that although we typically talk about mudita in terms of one individual for another, 
I think it's pretty interesting to think about what if one group experienced mudita for another group? Could be anything. Say one family allows itself to experience happiness for the success or the happiness of another family. Instead of any envy or comparing, just, wow, you know, the so-and-sos are so happy for whatever reason and allow ourselves to feel that also. One ethnic group for another. What if one ethnic group could allow themselves to experience the happiness of another ethnic group, again, for whatever reason? I do a lot of interfaith work, and so it occurs to me, what if religions, one religion, could experience happiness for the success or the happiness of another religion instead of so much of the (laughs) difficulty and fighting. You know, what if we opened ourselves as Buddhists? What if as Buddhists we could allow ourselves to experience the happiness of Muslims? I say that because of the conflict in Myanmar where Buddhists and Muslims are having a difficult time. But it could be, could be any. What if Muslims allowed themselves to experience the happiness for Jews, for some success or some whatever? You might think this is all pie in the sky, <laughs> that I'm ideal, an idealist, which I am, but why not? Why not? Some say the Buddha was an idealist. I think he thought he was a realist. And I like to think that too. What if countries could experience mudita for the happiness, the success of another country? Wow is right, isn't it? What if Americans could experience happiness at the success of the Russians? at the happiness of the Chinese. Or the Chinese experience happiness (laughs) at the success of, (laughs) what, Americans or the Japanese, right? Yeah. What if (laughs) the giants could experience happiness at the success of, (laughs) fill in the blank, probably, So, you know, there's endless possibilities if we allow ourselves just just to let the mind, you know, go and think about mudita, not just in terms of me and you, but on a much broader scale. How different things would be, wouldn't they? So I have one little exercise I'd like to do with you. And you can do it with eyes open or eyes closed, whatever you'd like. But allow yourself to recall a time 
when you were happy or had a success, had, you know, got praise or won something, whatever, and somebody else was happy for you. And you got it. You knew they were happy for you. And how did that feel? Probably it felt very good. then can we let that feeling motivate us to practice mudita for other people? Knowing how good it feels to have someone not just appreciate, but actually be happy for our success or for our whatever. Can that motivate us to then allow ourselves to open to the happiness, the success of somebody else? So I'll end with this reading. Surely this is love. I am intimately connected with all that is. When you water your roots, my heart blossoms. When I see you smile, that's when I know I'm fully alive. As you are able to live in truth, I raise the roof on this house I am exploring. I throw the doors wide, Let the breeze blow in the windows. When you grow, I know it as my own opening. You stretch, I breathe. I give, and you receive. Just beneath the fabric of our lives, coiled, ready to spring, or budding like a rose, reaching out to embrace, or sitting bathed in grace and stillness, this singing, circling, radiant one with everything. Surely this is love. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.